Okay, Hare Krishna, everybody. Welcome to our Saturday Isopanishad class. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, so we're, today we're going to do the Isopanishad verse one, <clears throat> which goes as follows. Um, sarvam. Sorry, my voice, you know, a lot of preaching. Yet kincha jagat yang jagat. Tena, Tyaktena, Bhunjita, Magrada, Kasyaswidhanam. Prabhupada's translation, everything animate or inanimate that is within the universe is controlled and owned by the Lord. One should therefore accept only those things necessary for himself, which are set aside as his quota, and one should not accept other things, knowing well to whom they belong. So there are practically all the verses in, in this, uh, all the words in this verse are very interesting, very important. So, I mean, you've all heard this, that Ishavasyam, it's sort of a, it's a, it's a transcendental slogan in Iskan, Ishavasyam, and that everything belongs to Krishna. So let's look closely at these words because they're very interesting. So Isha means, of course, the Lord. And Avasyam is quite interesting. Uh, the word avasyam, the root, the verbal root there is vas, which means to dwell, like vasa, a dwelling. Uh, Krishna, because Krishna is the abode of the goddess of fortune, who is on his chest, therefore he's called Sri Vasa. Krishna is the abode of Sri, Sri Vasa or Sri Nivasa. Ni can mean within, so one who, the goddess of fortune who dwells on, which is me, me Vasa, that dwells on the Lord or in the Lord. So Vasa means a residence. And um, so Vasyam means to be dwelled in, or Ah Vasyam, Ah is a prefix, meaning intensely. So the verse literally says that Idang Sarvam, uh, and Idang Sarvam, all of this, as we said, idam in, in, in Sanskrit, like om purnamadak purnamidam, means this, that which you can see, which is this universe. So idang sarvam, all of this, uh, yat kincha, whatever is there, jagatyang, uh, jagati, jagati means uh, the universe, jagati. And here we have the form jagatyam, which means within the jagati, within the universe, and jagat. Now the word jagat, which can also mean like all moving, unmoving things, in, in the word jagat, like jagat guru or jagat um, jaganatha, it's a very interesting word jagat because um, ga in jagat, the ga part of jagat means go, it's the English go. And so it means all that is moving, jagat, the world where things are moving, things are changing, and of course the Buddhists, took this idea. It's not that Buddhism had a lot of original ideas, but they kind of took different things from here and there in the Vedas and stuck them together and made a new, a new product, so to speak, or, or something which a lot of people at that time were looking for. But, but the word jagat means universe, but in the sense of the world which is moving, which means nothing is fixed. That, that's the actual Buddhist Sunyavad, which means that... Um, Emptiness, the Shunyavad emptiness in the sense that everything in this world is changing, moving. Of course, not the soul and certainly not God, but the visible things of this world, the sense in which 
this universe is idam, this which is before our senses. In that sense, it's a world of moving, changing things. And that's what's expressed by the word jagat. So it's here poetic Sanskrit that isha vasimi dang sarvam, all of this, yatkinsha, whatever there is, jagatyang jagat, all the things that are moving and changing in this universe. So um, and I'll finish the verse and we'll look at some of the words. Tena by him, tyaktena, because tyaga like means like renunciation or here set aside or you know, place there, tena tyaktena bhunjita, you should accept, and I'm, I'm going to talk a lot about this word bhunjita, which it's an important word, magradak, which means don't grab or don't take, kasyaswid uh, dhanam, dhanam, the wealth, the property, kasyaswid, of anyone else. So that's what the verse is, and so I'm going to make some observations on these words. I explained. So let's first look at the word avasyam. Uh, isha, isha avasyam. It's called the Isopanishad because the first word is Isha. That's why it's called that. So here in Sanskrit, uh, the same word, in this case, avasyam, which means to be dwelt in or or that which is someone's proper home or proper dwelling, avasyam, uh, also means to possess. In fact, Prabhupada translates the word here as, he says, controlled by, he says, controlled and owned by the Lord. So in Sanskrit, the idea is that if something is yours to dwell in, like let's say a house, like that's mine to dwell in, that's mine to use, that's mine to take control of, which is a way of saying, I own it. I own it. Because it's interesting because in Sanskrit, we have an English verb, own, I own this. And uh, it's interesting, in Spanish, for example, they, they would say, eso me pertenece, isn't it? That belongs to me. Or soy dueño, I am the owner of something. And so in English, you have this, this verb, own, and so Sanskrit also doesn't use so much. It's more like Spanish in the sense that you would say tut or tud mama, that is of me. In other words, that is mine. That's how you would say that's mine. And that's why the word uh, uh, mamata is a way of saying like false proprietorship. Mamata means ownership, mindness, literally mindness. And so, so here, uh, the idea is that if something is yours to use, it is, it is you're the one that has the right to dwell in it. You're the one that has the right to inhabit it. Then that means it's yours. And, and that's the connection in the sense of the word avasim literally means to be dwelled in, but also means to possess. In other words, it's mine to occupy. It's mine to dwell in. It's mine to utilize. And so this world is the, all of this world is the Lord's. He has the right to dwell in it. He has the right to inhabit it, which he does because he's all pervading. And in that sense, it belongs to him. So I thought you might find that interesting where this word comes from. So isha vasimidang sarvam yatkincha jagatyang jagat tenet yatina bunjita. So I want to look at the word bunjita. <clears throat> the word bunjita first, I know you'll find this fascinating, is the second person singular optative form of the verb buj. 
<laughs> so now that I've satisfied your burning curiosity about that, it actually it actually comes from the root buj, which is this, which from which you get, for example, the word boga. That's where boga comes from. You know, boga is something you enjoy. Another interesting use of the word is often to say, and you find this a lot in the Bhagavatam and the Mahabharata, that to say that someone is the ruler, is the king of a place, they will say he is the bhokta, he is the enjoyer of it, or he is the, because the word, the verb means to enjoy, to use, to possess, to take possession of, to rule, to govern. Like a common word in, in the Shastra is, is bhubuj, uh, which means uh, the enjoyer or the ruler of a, of a piece of land, bhu. So, um, and of course we get the word boga from that. And bhokta, Krishna says, bhokta rang pasam. I'm, you know, knowing me to be the enjoyer of, of sacrifice and austerity, one will achieve peace. So Krishna ultimately says, he's the bhokta. He's the enjoyer, and, and he's the one who has the right to inhabit, to possess all of this universe. And yet, Krishna is giving us, as little parts of him, Krishna is giving us the right to enjoy something in this world, but to enjoy it in the spirit of being part of Krishna. It's just like when you eat prasadam. Let's say we enjoy eating good food offered to Krishna. We do enjoy it. I mean, devotees, when they have uh, these uh, sadhu sangha retreats, they go to beautiful places. They, they don't hold sadhu sangha retreats, retreats in steel factories. You know, you know, why do devotees have it in a beautiful place? Because they enjoy it. But it's being done in Krishna's service. So the word punjita, you should enjoy or you should possess, or you should utilize. It's very interesting because it, in a sense, it comes in contrast with the first line that actually it's Krishna who has the right to possess everything, but Krishna has set aside something for you to possess. It really belongs to him. It's just like, for example, let's say you have a child. So everything in your house legally belongs to you, but you may tell your child, you can use this chair, you can use, uh, you know, whatever, these toys, but legally they belong to the parents. But the parents set aside certain things for the children. So that's the word bunjita. And then the last word, which I, I found interesting here, that ma gridha kasyasvidhanam. Don't, um, actually, as you know, I am a, I like to go to the uh, Sanskrit. So the ma, ma means don't, just in Sanskrit, ma, don't. And then, uh, the verb grid in Sanskrit means, or gird actually, uh, endeavor to gain, to covet, which in Spanish is, what's it, cobisar, English covet, uh, to desire, to strive after greedily, in other words, to like to sort of lust after something, to want it, to want, it, it's not, there's not because it's set aside for you, so grid, this verb, or actually you pronounce the root girdha, ma girdha, is really the opposite of tena tyaktena. Tena tyaktena means you're enjoying the world, but things have been set aside for you. Okay, this is yours to use. This is yours to enjoy. Gird 
is the opposite. Magretak is the opposite. It means you want it. It's not set aside for you. You just want it because you're greedy, because you want to enjoy it. So it's, these are actually opposite things. Gurta and Magrita and and Tainatyaktena, they're opposite ideas. Just like you have these other sets of words like Isavasyam and Bunjita, which really are sort of, they're not contradictory, but there's a real contrast between Isavasyam and Bunjita. And uh, and also another interesting word is Dhanam. Magrita, don't covet, don't try to take for your own sense gratification, uh, the dana, the wealth of other people. Well, so dana doesn't just mean property. It's uh, in dhanam, like Arjun's called dhanam jaya, the winner of wealth. So dana can be the prize of a contest or it can be you know, the reward for something, any valued object, especially wealth, riches, movable property. Of course, it can be used also, it can be used symbolically or, or metaphorically, like, like you can say, uh, he has a wealth of knowledge. And you can do that in Sanskrit also, that someone has a wealth of knowledge. For example, a common word for ascetics is, or Brahmins is tapodhana. Their wealth is their austerity. So the word is used metaphorically or symbolically, like tapodhana, their wealth is austerity. Uh, but also in, in a more literal sense, it means actual property, riches. And so don't, because I mean, obviously if someone, let's say has an old rusty nail clipper, you're probably not going to covet that. But so generally what, what we want to take from other people is something that we see as valuable. And therefore, the word dhanam is used. Don't go after the, the, the riches, the wealth, the valuable things of other people. Don't try to take them away just because you want them. So that, that's what this verse is really saying. Anyway, uh, as you know, these Isopanishad classes are not going to be very long classes. But so, uh, Ananda Leela, if there are questions, you can send them in. Other questions? <laughs> Let's see if we have any questions. Here's a question about this verse where it says that every living being has its quota. How can we understand? Oh, very good. I forgot to talk about that. I was going to talk about it. So you'll never get to work today. How can we, under, how can we understand rich people? Are they stealing from the Lord and the rest of the living entities? Knowing that 1% of people in the world have the most money, properties, etc. Thank you for that question because I wanted to talk about that and I'd forgotten because being in a uh, highly spiritual state of mind. Just kidding, I really just forgot it. So yes, that, that's a very interesting question. And that is how do you determine what is set aside for you? How do you, how do you determine what is set aside for you? And what is set aside for someone else? For example, if someone, let's say someone steals some of your property, we don't conclude that, uh, oh, well, then I guess um, Krishna, you know, set it aside for someone else. Now we try to get our property back. If you go through all legal means to get your property back because you were cheated or, some, or you were robbed, and if after all your efforts, it, you simply cannot get it back, then you would have to conclude Krishna didn't want me to have that. 
but you wouldn't conclude that, let's say, after or, or before you had made a reasonable effort to get your property back. And, and so what is set aside, for example, let's say you're a householder and you have a family, you have to make money for your family. And so it doesn't mean just to be like the famous python that just lies in the road with its mouth open. I know all the wives of ISKCON will be really ecstatic if their husbands say, I quit my job, I'm just gonna lie in the street with my mouth open. Probably a lot of marriages would break up, but so yes, the um, saying that it's set aside for me, this you conclude after you've done your duty. For example, a householder uh, has a duty to maintain a family. So you have to pursue an income. You have to pursue money to do your duty, your religious duty or sannyasi or a householder that wants to preach. You know, sometimes we, we hope to get donations. We hope to get money so that we can spread Krishna consciousness. So it doesn't mean that you just to become passive, we have to work actively in this world, but we work according to our duty and according to reasonable endeavor. We don't become obsessive, we don't become crazy. We make sincere effort, we work hard, but at the end of all that, we have to accept what Krishna has given us. And as far as what other people have, for like, like the point that was raised in this question, that there's obviously, there are serious problems with wealth distribution in the world at the present time. And uh, so a devotee may, in preaching, uh, may also make the point that wealth should be distributed more fairly and uh, more, and so that it benefits more people. And so urging a proper distribution of wealth according to the laws of God and the dictates of compassion uh, that's also uh, does not violate this idea of just taking what's set aside for someone or assuming that, okay, this person's starving, but that's what was set aside for them. And a rich person is just, you know, being a pig. So yes, uh, we, can, we can work sincerely, advocate justice and fairness and do our own duty. But at the end of the day, after actually at the end of many days, we at the end of all of our efforts, uh, the way things turn out, we somehow have to accept as Krishna's arrangement. So the purport talks about Krishna's potencies. We hear Radha is his internal potency. It was something that was never clear to me, internal and external, or what is it? That's very simple. Internal just means spiritual. External means material. And I think it's nothing more than that. Okay, so thank you all very much. That's all the questions I received. Uh, no more questions. Oh, there's one more. Okay, is that coming? Three more. There's actually 700 more questions. <laughs> that, that was a joke. Don't panic. Oh, it's up there. I don't see the questions. Oh, oh, there it is. Number, oh, number three. Okay, good news for everybody that has to go. It's only, it's only one more question. In the Bhagavatam, there are many pastimes about sacrifice, and it is said that, that demigods take their part. What is the mean of that? What is the mean of that part? Is it physical or what is it? That's a good question, actually. Um, presumably, 
it is physical in some sense because Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita in chapter three that parasparam uh, bhavayantu that that pe- that the demigods and human beings on earth are actually sort of nourishing each other or bringing prosperity to each other. It's just like a government, you could say, is more powerful than any individual citizen. But if the citizens don't pay their taxes, the government can't function. So think of it as a government and taxes. Okay. There is a number four. One more question. I don't see I'm destroying families because there's some men that have to go to work and I'm making them stay here and listen to this class. That's what sannyasis do. They ruin families. So, okay, last question. Uh, if external is material energy, but it is said Krishna is all spiritual, how can we understand that? <laughs> because Krishna is all spiritual, yes, because matter, if properly seen, of course, is Krishna's energy, but it functions externally. It is material. There's nothing, it's a good question. There's nothing material inside of Krishna. So ultimately, matter is spiritual energy, but it's acting in a material way because spiritual energy acts to increase our love for Krishna. Material energy sometimes makes us forget Krishna, although that's also just a strategy to eventually get us to love Krishna, but still material energy acts differently. It's not alive. It's not conscious. In that sense, it's external. Krishna calls it apara, inferior. And yet, as Krishna explains in the Gita, and as the Bhagavatam explains, Krishna is not downgraded by that. It's not that because, it's not that because the material energy is Krishna's energy. Krishna becomes material. And that's why he says in Bhagavad Gita, chapter 9, that all material things are in me, but they are not in me. They're not in Krishna in the sense that they become a defining characteristic of who God is, but they're in him in the sense that they're under his power and he controls them. And so it's a spiritual energy, but Krishna uses to act materially because it's needed, because there are conditioned souls, they need to have material experience so that they can preserve their free will, but still learn and come back to Krishna. It's just a job that has to be done. And therefore Krishna's got a potency to get that job done. It's that simple, but it does not make Krishna material. Okay. Thank you all very much. And uh, thank you for listening. I hope uh, you listen again next Sunday, Uh, Saturday, sorry. See that? I'm in the spiritual world. Okay, mm-hmm. next Saturday we have the Yusupanishad class, and tomorrow we'll have our Bhagavatam class. So thank you all for listening. Thanks to Ananda Leela for organizing everything and for holding up all the idiot cards so I know what to say. Mm-hmm. Just kidding, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hare Krishna. <laughs>